Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Catholic Education Classes. Tonight we're talking about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But first of all, let's uh, pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, by ourselves we can do nothing, and so we pray that you send your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and our minds to know the truth, to love the truth, and to live it each day. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It seems like it's been a while, and it has been. I think it's been uh, five or six weeks since I've had a catechism lesson. Uh, because of various factors, we haven't been able to have a class, but tonight we're back. And we are on paragraph 355, on page 91, paragraph 355. We just finished in our last lesson talking about God creating the angels. Tonight, we're talking about God creating man. Paragraph 355, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man occupies a unique place in creation. One, he is in the image of God. Two, in his own nature, he unites the spiritual and material worlds. Three, he has created male and female. Four, uh, God established him in his friendship. So let's look at these four things about the creation of man. One, in the image of God. Paragraph 356, of all visible creatures, only man is able to know and love his creator. Now, we're talking visible creatures, the angels are invisible, okay? So, above the earthly creation, only man can know and love God. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake. Yeah. Every other thing, every other plant and animal is here for our sake. But man is here for his own sake. Because he's in the image of God. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake. And he alone is called to share by knowledge and love in God's own life. It was for this end that he was created. And this is the fundamental reason for his dignity. So we are made so that we can share the life of God. None of the other creatures, the animals and the plants, they have beauty and wonder and all that kind of stuff but they cannot share in the life of God. And we can. What made you establish man in so great a dignity? 
certainly the incalculable love by which you have looked on your creature in yourself. You are taken with love for her, for by love indeed you created her. By love you have given her a being capable of tasting your eternal good. That's a quote from uh, St. Catherine of Siena. Paragraph 357. Being in the image of God, the human individual possesses the dignity of a person who is not just something, but someone. He is capable of self-knowledge, of self-possession, and of freely giving himself and entering into communion with other persons. And he is called by grace to a covenant with his Creator to offer him a response of faith and love that no other creature can give in his stead. Wow, there's a lot of things in there. Um, we're not a thing, we're a person. You know, we're someone. Person answers the question, who? Uh, nature answers the question, what? Uh, man is capable of self-knowledge. That's an amazing thing. We have self-consciousness. And that is something that I've read about in science books that they have zero explanation for. Self-consciousness. How can we have self-consciousness? Uh, Self-possession. We can actually control our own being to some extent. And a freely giving and entering into communion with other persons. I can love someone or I can not love them. I can, I can uh, enter into a relationship, uh, but I don't have to. It's just an amazing thing what we are. And, and finally, it said we're called into a covenant relationship with God, our Creator. No one else, and, and it says we give a response of faith and love that no other creature can give in his stead. Um, two things there. Um, only I can give myself to God. Nobody else can give Henry Cordonier to God. My parents, I'm sure, tried. I'm sure they, you know, they had me baptized and, and they prayed for me and they, I'm sure they begged God that I have a relationship with him and that my soul be saved. The same thing that any good parent prays for their children. But I can't make it happen. I can't make you love God. I can't make you enter into that covenant with God. And my parents couldn't make me either. I think classic example would be like St. Monica. And, yeah. And, you know. St. Monica desperately wanted Augustine to love God, but Augustine has to choose it for himself. <clears throat> and and that, is the dig that is one of the great dignities of being a human being. Uh, nobody else can do this for me. And it's kind of a sadness, I mean, because... You wish you could do it for your kids. You love your kids so much and you wish you could, you could bring them to God. But, you know, someone said you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But somebody else said 
if you put enough salt in their oats, they'll drink. You know, so I'm all about putting salt in the oats. You, you gotta make it so wonderful that they'll, they will choose it. And the other thing there is no other creature can do what I do. No dog, no horse, no, no creature can do what I'm capable of doing, which is entering into a covenant relationship with God and entering into the very life of God. Wow. Wow. 358. God created everything for man. That is an awesome statement right there. We're not even halfway into the sentence. God created everything for man. Everything that exists was created for you and me. It just blows my mind. When I see the sunset and the, and the starry sky and the beautiful mountains and the, and the beautiful wheat fields and the corn fields around here, uh, my kids think mountains are the only thing that's beautiful. But I think a, a nice flat piece of ground that's full of... Uh, soybeans or corn that's going to feed people. Uh, I think that's one of the most beautiful things in the world. And um, God created everything for man. Everything out there is for us. But man in turn was created to serve and love God and to offer all creation back to him. Yeah. The purpose of my being is to love and serve God and to live in a relationship with Him forever. What is it that is about to be created that enjoys such honor? It is man, that great and wonderful living creature, more precious in the eyes of God than all other creatures. For him the heavens and the earth, the sea and all the rest of creation exist. God attached so much importance to his salvation that he did not spare his own son for the sake of man. Nor does he ever cease to work, trying every possible means until he has raised man up to himself and made him sit at his right hand. A quote from St. John Chrysostom there. Paragraph 359. In reality, it is only in the mystery of the word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. St. Paul tells us that the human race takes its origin from two men, Adam and Christ. The first man, Adam, he says, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was made by the last Adam, from whom he also received his soul to give him life. The second Adam stamped his image on the first Adam when he created him. That is why he took on himself the role and the name of the first Adam in order that he might not lose what he had made in his own image. 
The first Adam, the last Adam. The first had a beginning, the last knows no end. The last Adam is indeed the first, as he himself says, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Because of its common origin, the human race forms a unity. For from one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. O oh, wondrous vision which makes us contemplate the human race in the unity of its origin in God, in the unity of its nature, composed equally in all men of a material body and a spiritual soul, in the unity of its immediate end and its mission in the world, in the unity of its dwelling, the earth, whose, benefit, whose benefits all men by right of nature may use to sustain and develop life, in the unity of its supernatural end, God himself, to whom all ought to tend, in the unity of the means for attaining this end, in the unity of the redemption wrought by Christ for all. This law of human solidarity and charity, without excluding the rich variety of persons, cultures, and peoples, assures us that all men are truly brethren. Yes, in a sense, we are all brothers in that we share all these things. We all live here on this earth. We all have, are made of body and soul. Every single human being is body and soul. You, you know, if you don't have a body, you're nobody. <laughs> uh, we all have a body and a soul. We're all destined for eternity. Um, in so many ways, every human being is similar. Paragraph 362. The human person created in the image of God, is a being at once corporal and spiritual, body and soul. The biblical account expresses this reality in symbolic language when it affirms that the Lord God formed man of the dust of, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Man, whole and entire, is therefore willed by God. Yes, God is what brought man into being. He wills us into being. He creates us. Paragraph 363. In sacred scripture, the term soul often refers to human life or, to, or the entire human person. But soul also refers to the innermost aspect of man, that which is of greatest value in him, that by which he is most especially in God's image. Soul signifies the spiritual principle in man. Right. Soul in anything is the life principle of it. And, but in a human being, the soul is also an immortal spirit as we'll see here in a moment. The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. It is a human body precisely because it is animated by a spiritual soul. 
and it is the whole human person that is intended to become in the body of Christ a temple of the Spirit. Uh, a quote here from uh, Gaudium et Spes from the Second Vatican Council. Man, though made of body and soul, is a unity. Through his very bodily conditions, he sums up in himself the elements of the material world. Through him, they are thus brought to their highest perfection and can raise their voice in praise freely given to the Creator. For this reason, man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and to hold it in honor since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. Yes, down through history there have been uh, people who hold a dualistic uh, philosophy. And they, many said the soul is good but the body is evil. This is not our position as Catholic Christians. <coughs> the body is good. And we are made in the image of God and, and even our sexuality, male and female, images God. And so we must always take care of our bodies and see them as good and tend to them. 365. The unity of soul and body is so profound that one has to consider the soul to be the form of the body. That is... It is because of its spiritual soul that the body made of matter becomes a living human body. Spirit and matter in man are not two natures united, but rather their union forms a single nature. The church teaches that every spiritual soul is created immediately by God. It is not produced by the parents. And also that it is immortal. It does not perish when it separates from the body at death. And it will be reunited with the body at the final resurrection. Yes, this is incredibly important. That we see the immortality of our soul. God creates the soul directly or immediately as it says here in the catechism. Uh, husband and wife engage in sexual intercourse and they provide the biology. The sperm and the egg, they provide the biology. But God infuses the soul. And so every human being comes from God. Sometimes the soul is distinguished from the spirit. St. Paul, for instance, prays that God may sanctify his people wholly with spirit and soul and body, kept sound and blameless at the Lord's coming. The church teaches that this distinction does not introduce a duality into the soul. Spirit signifies that from creation man is ordered to a supernatural end. 
and that his soul can gratuitously be raised beyond all it deserves to communion with God. The spiritual tradition of the church also emphasizes the heart. In the biblical sense of the depths of one being, where the person decides for or against God. So we talk about loving God with all of our soul, or loving God with all of our heart. We are simply talking about the innermost being of a person where you make a decision. There is, as I said, the, the soul of a human being is an immortal spirit. The soul of a dog or the soul of a tree is not an immortal spirit. But the dog is living and the tree is living. And so we say that the dog and the tree have a soul. They have life. A man is living, but his life is an immortal life that goes right on after the body dies. The soul goes right on knowing and loving God. Uh, <clears throat> I know that this question or statement has more to it than this. But in brief, is this where like the church would get its definition of dead? You know, in, in our medical world today, they call people brain dead. Right. But they're not dead. Right. Because they're still living. You, right. You know. <laughs> they're still breathing. They're, you know. They're still functioning. Their heart is still beating, and, but they say the guy's dead. That's a really... And I know there's more that's to a, There's it. a whole world to that. Theologically, as I understand it, the definition of death is the separation of the soul and the body. Yeah, but it would be when... That means when life goes out of the body. Yes. You're dead. Yes, it, but that would be more of like your, your body it stops the functioning completely. Right. Your heart stops beating, you stop breathing, you, your temperature... You assume room temperature. I mean, all the functions of the body cease. Yeah. But because of organ transplantation, uh, modern medicine has defined death as a cessation of certain brain waves. Yeah. Okay. Which... But I just want, uh, you, know, you know, that's kind of where our, the definition comes from with this. Defining death is a somewhat controversial thing today. <clears throat> We're on paragraph... Um, uh, 369. Uh, male and female, he created them. Man and woman have been created, which is to say, willed by God. On the one hand, in perfect equality as human persons. On the other, in their respective beings as man and woman. Being man or being woman is a reality which is good and willed by God. Man and woman possesses an inalienable dignity which comes to them immediately from God their Creator. Man and woman are both with one and the same dignity in the image of God. In their being man and being woman, they reflect the Creator's wisdom and goodness. So, we want to make it very clear, as Catholics, we believe that men and women are equal. We also believe that men and women are different. 
They are created different. Scientifically, we know we got XX chromosome and XY chromosome. So men and women are different but equal, something that modern society is really struggling with. 370. In no way is God in man's image. He is neither man nor woman. God is pure spirit, in which there is no place for the difference between the sexes. But the respective perfections of man and woman reflect something of the infinite perfection of God, those of a mother and those of a father and a husband. So we are made in God's image. God is not made in our image. Paragraph 371. God created man and woman together and willed, for, and willed each for the other. The Word of God gives us to understand this through various features of the sacred text. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. None of the animals can be man's partner. The woman God fashions from the man's rib and brings to him elicits on the man's part a cry of wonder, an exclamation of love and communion. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Man discovers woman as another I, sharing the same humanity. So, we're meant to be in communion. We're meant to be in harmony. We're meant to be complementary to each other. Man and woman. Male and female. 372. Man and woman were made for each other. Not that God left them half made and incomplete. He created them to be a communion of persons in which each can be a helpmate to the other, for they are equal as persons and complementary as masculine and feminine. In marriage, God unites them in such a way that by forming one flesh, they can transmit human life. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. By transmitting human life to their descendants, man and woman as spouses and parents cooperate in a unique way in the Creator's work. Uh, absolutely, it's one of the greatest uh, privileges of human beings to cooperate in bringing about new human life. In God's plan, man and woman have the vocation of subduing the earth as stewards of God. This sovereignty is not to be an arbitrary and destructive dominion. God calls man and woman, made in the image of the Creator, who loves everything that exists, to share in His providence toward other creatures. Hence their responsibility for the world God has entrusted to them. So we're the highest of all creatures, and God has given us uh, the vocation of subduing the earth, domesticating the earth, so to speak. And um, 
because everything God made is good and God wills for it to exist, we as his creatures and as his stewards on earth, we should make the earth as fruitful as possible. In other words, we shouldn't just pollute it, destroy it, mm -hmm. you know, going out and shooting the buffalo just for the sake of shooting buffalo and extinguishing that species from the earth was really a stupid thing to do. And we almost did it. That kind of domination of nature is not the correct way that God wants us to deal with nature. We should be enhancing nature and making it better all the time. My dad uh, was proud of the fact that he farmed uh, the 80 acres there, the home place. And he told me as an old man he, that he was very happy that after having farmed it for like 60 years, that small piece of earth was in better condition than when he got it. Mm -hmm. Even though it produced fruits uh, of the earth, it produced grain and, and forage, and it was a very productive piece of earth. It was better than when he started because he used conservation practices. He put in grass waterways so it didn't erode. You know, he took care of it and made it better than it was. And so I think that's what God intends for us to do with the entire world. 374. The first man was not only created good, but was also established in friendship with his creator and in harmony with himself and with the creation around him in a state that would be surpassed only by the glory of the new creation in Christ. So when Adam was created, everything was good. Everything was in harmony, copacetic. The church, interpreting the symbolism of biblical language in an authentic way, in the light of the New Testament and tradition, teaches that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were constituted in an original state of holiness and justice. This grace of original holiness was to share in God's own divine life. So when they were created, they did not have original sin, they, um, and the earth was a paradise, and everything was in harmony. By the radiance of this grace, all dimensions of man's life were confirmed. As long as he remained in the divine intimacy, man would not have to suffer or die. So, in his original condition, uh, human beings would have never died. We would have lived forever. The inner harmony of the human person, the harmony between man and woman, and finally the harmony between the first couple and all creation, comprised the state called original justice. Paragraph 377. The mastery over the world that God offered man from the beginning was realized above all within man himself, mastery of self. 
The first man was unimpaired and ordered in his whole being because he was free from the triple concupiscence that subjugates him to the pleasures of the senses, covetousness for earthly goods, and self-assertion, contrary to the dictates of reason. What it's saying there is that in our original created sense of being, we did not suffer from concupiscence, which is our attraction to sin. Um, the lust of the flesh is the first thing they mention. Um, sensuality, sexuality, drunkenness, gluttony, uh, laziness, all the sins of the flesh, all the things that our body drags us into. It wasn't like that at the beginning. And then you have um, the lust of the eye, the desire for things, covetousness, all the, the desire for riches and the beautiful things that to uh, possess them. And finally, it talks about self-assertion, the pride of life. Uh, as it is spoken of. Uh, pridefulness, putting myself above God. Adam and Eve didn't have any of these things. And so their life had an inner mastery. You know, St. Paul writes later, he says, I do the very thing I don't want to do. Because there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. That was not the case. When Adam and Eve were first created, there was no war between the flesh, the body, and the spirit. They were in perfect harmony, as someday our resurrected bodies and spirits will be in perfect harmony in heaven. It won't be. Now, we have to fight against the, this urge, because this urge to sin, because that's one of the results of original sin. But before original sin, that wasn't there. Life was really good. The sign of man's familiarity with God is that God places him in the garden. There he lives to till it and keep it. Work is not yet a burden, but rather the collaboration of man and woman with God in perfecting the visible creation. This entire harmony of original justice foreseen for man in God's plan will be lost by the sin of our first parents. Yeah, when they commit the original sin, everything goes to pot. Everything goes bad. Our bodies, our minds, our spirit is weakened. It, 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 it is all corrupted. And we have concupiscence, this uh, attraction for sin, which we never had before. And so in our next lesson, we will look at the fall of mankind. We'll look at the original sin and how it ruined uh, everything. Let's pray.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, you created us for yourself. I pray, Lord, that every day of my life and in the lives of all human beings, we might gravitate toward you and come back to that original harmony with you that you intended for all of us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.